celebrity Let your weary mind be free And someone kind of famous who you can't see It's time for sleeping with celebrity Hello sleepyheads and welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. On this audio program, we invite our guests to step out of the limelight and step into the nightlight. On this show, for just one bedtime, we don't want them to bring their A game, but rather their Z game. It's a podcast where you can sleep, you can simply relax, you can take a break from stress and intensity. Just ahead, we'll be sleeping with Phoebe Judge. Phoebe is going to talk with me about clamming. But before all that, I invite you to settle in and get comfortable while I tell you about another program here on the Maximum Fun Network. Sleepyheads, we are in the final week of Co-Optober. That's right, Co-Optober. To cap off National Co-Op Month, Maximum Fun is sharing how co-ops can benefit their communities. You can read all about it in the Max Fun newsletter or on social media at MaxFunHQ. And this Friday, MaxFun will announce the donation that MaxFun listeners helped raise in the post-MaxFun Drive sticker sale going to five food banks across the United States. You should know that this is your last chance to get their limited edition Launch Crew merch. So if there's a pen, hat, shirt, or hoodie you want, get it now before they disappear at the end of the month. You can find all things Co-Optober at MaximumFun.org slash Co-Optober. That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R. Co-Optober. Or pronounced Cooptober if you wish. Thank you for your support and have a great Co-Optober. Or Cooptober. And now for our guest, Phoebe Judge. Phoebe Judge is an acclaimed journalist who has won multiple Associated Press and Edward R. Murrow Awards, which are kind of like the Oscars, minus the A-list celebrities and recognizable presenters. But they are a big deal. Trust me. Phoebe hosts the podcasts Phoebe Reads a Mystery, This is Love, and criminal. In September of this year, a listener with the handle Nick Bobick wrote an Apple podcast review of this show, Sleeping with Celebrities, using the subject line, Please interview Phoebe Judge. And their message said, If Phoebe and John went into this podcast together, it would be a six star review. Nick Bobick, if you're listening, I'm seconds away from bringing Phoebe Judge on the show, but I wanted you to know that her podcast, Criminal, 
is celebrating its 10th anniversary with a live tour, so you should go get tickets. With that, Phoebe Judge, welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities. Well, thank you for having me. You know, I like to start off these conversations with a question or two about sleep. Do you recall the best night of sleep you've ever had? There are so few nights where I don't wake up in the middle of the night. So few of them that there are three or four nights that I do remember. And the marker of a good night's sleep for me is one where I close my eyes and when I open them, I can see some sort of daylight. That is... And so, yes, I, there are three or four of them in the past decade, and I uh, remember them very fondly. But it, it's not the quality of sleep. It's rather uh, just, ha- have I woken up in the middle of the night? Mm. And usually when we wake up in the middle of the night, those are when the dread conversations, the very, the very quiet conversations about the direction of your life, what ailments you probably have. And so to go through a night without one of those moments is so wonderful to me that, yes, I have three or four good night's sleeps in the past a decade where I haven't woken up once. So in the last 10 years, there have been three or four nights only where you haven't woken up? And I'm not saying when I wake up, I'm up for hours. I mean, that's a really bad night. Sure. I'm up for a second. And maybe I go to the bathroom and then I go right back to sleep. But uh, yeah, uh, to sleep all the way through. And it's funny when you, there, there are people, you say that and they think, oh, wow, you wake up every night. And that's a dividing line because there's half of this world who, of course, I wake up everyone. But there's other half of these innocent people who go through their whole lives without opening their eyes in the middle of the night. I don't understand them. I know they're out there. but And they're shocked when you say, yes, I, I wake up in the middle of the night. They're kind of shocked. by Well, that must be so hard because it's something, what a life, what a mm. life to not wake up in the middle of the night. And they don't, they don't realize how how odd they are. They don't realize what terrible uh, fortunes they've avoided. Well, it's it's kind of the same way I feel about someone who has never lived knowing what a real winter is. Mm. Can you really can you really trust them to get you out of a, a bad problem? Someone who's just knows a sunny winter. You know, I mean, I don't know. I think it's maybe a mark of character. I live in Minnesota and I know what winters are. I grew up in Chicago, and in Chicago, the the schools wouldn't open because it'd be 30 below and the buses wouldn't start. So, you know, right. I'm with you. One time, there was a snowplow on my street, a big city-owned snowplow that got stuck in the snow that it was trying to plow, and we all had to come out of our houses and push the snowplow free. And you're a man I'd want around me in a crisis. I mean, that's a sign. Well, it's, it's sometimes you just have to get out and push whoever is stuck. It's, uh, it's a type of festival, really. Do you sleep in the same position every night? I always start in the same position, which is on my left side. Mm. Um, and if I'm not on my left side, I can't fall asleep. So, yes, I always start in the exact same position. Where do you end up? You know, it's always so funny because... On most nights when I do wake up in the middle of the night, I realize that I'm on my back. And then I spend a lot of time thinking, I wonder how long I was asleep before I got on my back. Did it happen right away? Um, But that's how I usually end up on my back. On your back. Okay. 
How long ago was your most recent sleep all the way through the night, wake to daylight experience? 18 months ago. Do you remember where you were? I was in my own bed in North Carolina, and uh, there wasn't a grand reason for me to sleep all the way through the night. I mean, I I tire myself most days either by (laughs) the stress of this job or by some sort of physical feat I take myself on. But there was no good reason, but I just remember... I opened my eyes and it was light outside and I thought, 18 months ago in my own bed, it was, um, I've, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Hmm. Let's talk about clamming. What is clamming? Well, clamming as a verb would be what one does when you go out to procure clams. Um... So if I'm going clamming, it means I'm going out to get clams. Mm. And in most cases, that means to dig for a clam. Right, right. How long have you been clamming? I've been clamming in earnest for about two years. Um, It when I started, I was really, I was really. Blind. I had no idea what I was doing, and and over the past two years, I I think I've gotten, I think I've gotten a bit better at it. Um, and I try. Actually, this morning at six a.m., I woke up and I thought the tide is good this morning. Should I go out? The problem is that when you first start clamming, it's a novelty. You know, you mm-hmm. come home with clams, and everyone's thrilled. But when you clam as often as I do. No one you know ever wants to see a clam again. Mm. You, can't, you can't give them away. And that's the problem that I have now with, with my clamming career. It's the zucchini of the sea. Yes, yes. And there, there are times where I, I've been very confident that someone will be happy to have a clam delivery, and they aren't. And so I take the poor guys right back down, and I throw them back in. And mm. I just, oh, whenever I do that, I think... These fellows have had quite a ride. They thought they were the, the, the redemption. Um, they're going back into the ocean. They've seen refrigerators. They've been on a car ride. And now they're, they're home. How does one first learn to clam? How did you become initiated in the ways of clamming? Well, the first step in clamming is you... you you, there's other things you can get, but what you really need is a rake, a clam rake. Hmm. And there are a couple of different types of rakes, depending on what type of clam you're going for, because there's, there's a, a distinction here between the three or four main types of clams that you would be out trying to get. And depending on what clam you're going for, you're going to use a different type of rake. Hmm. Um, so that my first... The first thing that happened is I got a, a a rake, and that's how it all began. You got a rake before you were interested in clamming, and the cl- the rake spurred the interest, or were you interested and then procured a rake? Well, I love clams. I love all shellfish, but I, I've always I love to eat clams, and so uh, I was in a location where there is a lot of good clamming, and so because people who know me well know that. This is a pursuit I very likely would be into. Uh, they thought this is a perfect birthday gift. 
we'll finally get her a clam rake and we'll get her a shellfish license. And so that was my birthday present, a clam rake and a shellfish license. And what kind of clam rake did you get for your, your first rake? My, my first rake was a, was a quahog rake. So we should just spend a second, if I may, just talking about the clams. Phoebe, um, we could spend much, much more than a second talking about the clams. Well, you you are right about that because there are uh, there are three different main types of clams. Let's say you are in the Atlantic Ocean going for clams, where I usually do my clamming. Mm. Uh, and if you're in the northern, you you might well, let's we're, we'll we'll you can find clams all up and down the East Coast. But if let's talk about the waters of New England, the colder waters. Sure. If you were to go out. You would find three types of clams. You'd find a sea clam or surf clam. This is an orangey, blackish type of rather large clam that doesn't shut all the way. It's a clam that you'd most often find in chowders, Mm. fritters. Um, They can live to be 35 years old. Uh, They reach harvest maturity around five years old, but you can pick up a 15-year-old sea clam. Um, They're the the least kind of sought after, I would say. The sea clam. clam. If you were going to get clam strips in a restaurant, would those be your sea clams? That's a very good question. A clam strip is a real travesty. Clam strips are for people who really don't like clams. Because all that happens with a clam strip is you're not eating the belly. Mm. Fried clams are mainly made with steamer clams, which is your second type of clam. A steamer clam is a clam with a soft shell, so it's a soft shell clam. Some people here call them piss clams. They call them piss clams because they have a very long siphon. They dig themselves deeper into the sand than other hard shell clams, sometimes eight or ten inches down, and they have a long siphon which goes up to the top so that they can breathe. They are very fragile. They are very expensive. A clam strip in the old days would probably be a fried clam, a steamer clam with the belly removed. I think that they make clam strips now probably out of sea clams. You know, it's not the real deal. That's your steamer clam. The third type of clam is a quahog. A mm. quahog can be a clam of it's a hard-shelled clam. And within the quahog family, there are different sizes. The first rake I ever got was a quahog rake. Also, you can get sea clams. But I got a quahog rake. A quahog rake is usually uh, much longer than a steamer rake. The handle can be four feet tall, five, four feet tall, and it has a a rake with thin tines on the end of it with a basket. And this is what you do when you go out to get quahogs, which you don't know if you're going to get. You never really get a steamer with a quahog rake, but you're going to get a hard shell clam. The size is the only variety. Um, and the only question is, what size of a quahog am I going to get? Mm. And how how hard are they to catch? Well, here's the thing. Um, it all depends on the tide. So you want to go clamming at a low tide so that you can go out as far as you can. 
They move. Clams aren't stationary. They move. So if mm. there's been a big storm, they'll move around. But the thing that I took me a while to learn is that you can feel what's a clam and you can feel what's a rock. And once you know that sound and can feel it with your hand, it makes all the difference. So there's a process to how you find these clams, and everyone has their own spots. But I now kind of have my whole routine down for when I go out for quahogs. What's your routine? Well, the first thing you have to do is you've got to get your equipment ready. So I have my quahog rake. And then what you're going to need to do is find something to put these clams in. And so I have a wire basket that has a, that kind of a, I don't know, a, a regular, it's smaller than a bucket, but it's wired as holes. And around that, I put a floating ring, kind of like a inner tube so that the basket can float. Mm. And I tie, depending on the weather in the summer, I just go out in my shorts. I tie the, 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 basket around my waist with my clamming rake and I go out and what I'm looking for is a couple of things one a sandbar to go off the side of a sandbar or I'm looking for seagrass because they love to be around the edges of seagrass and I go out and I go out much further than most people I think that one of the most relaxing things in the world is when you're up past your waist almost to your chest in water and you're Going along with your clam rake along the sandy bottom, you're just letting the wave kind of take you, and you're letting the current take you, and you're floating along, and then you hit something, and you hear it, mm -hmm. and you know that you've got a clam. You don't know what size it's going to be. But in the beginning, I was just trying to manhandle it. I was going down deep and digging, and then I realized they're not that deep. Find a spot, and if you find one clam, stay right there and work as a grid. So I work on a grid system. And when I feel something, I look down in my basket, and I bring it up, and there's a clam. And then the problem is, is the clam big enough? Because there are three sizes of little, of, there are three sizes of quahogs. There's what we'd just call a quahog, which is a big clam, something that you'd put in chowders, you know, at the size of your fist almost. Sure. Then there's something called a cherry stone, which is smaller, the medium size. That's the size of your palm, maybe a little smaller than that. And that's something that you would, oh, I don't know, maybe you'd put a small cherry stone in a linguine with clams. Mm. But then the real, the real sought after is a little neck. A little neck is what you're mostly going to find in clam pasta. It's what you're going to steam open if you're going to just have steam clams. And it's what you're going to eat raw. A raw little neck is a wonderful thing. And so you can, if they're big, you can keep them or throw them back. It really depends on what you're going for. Are you making chowder? Are you stuffing clams, clam pasta, steaming clams, little necks? But the little necks have to be big enough so I have, a, I have a gauge that I have on a little string next to my basket. And if the little neck goes through the hole, it's too small. And I, and I don't, I'm very much of the mindset, don't take more than you need, but also don't screw around with the sizes. It's not worth it. And so if it's, I don't take it if it's too small. You know, I said, Phoebe, you'll get another. And, um. And that's how it works. And you just go along and you can take a bucket a day per person. 
And so I fill my bucket up. But a lot of times I've a bucket of clams is a lot of clams. You don't need a bucket of clams unless you're having a party. So I just take what I need. And um, and that's cohogging. That's that type of clamming. Is that the type of clamming you do still most often? Or do you muck about with the sea clams and the steamers as well? Sleepyheads, I wish to tell you about another podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. This one is entitled Just the Zoo of Us, and it's an animal review podcast from Ellen and Christian Weatherford. In each episode, the hosts evaluate how an animal excels and how it doesn't, rating the animal out of a score of 1 to 10 on their effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Guest experts give their takes informed by real-life experiences studying and working with very cool animals. If you or your children have ever wondered if a pigeon can count, why sloths move so slowly, or how a spider sees the world, you can find out every Wednesday on Just the Zoo of Us. It's a field trip to the zoo for your ears. Available at Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Is that the type of clamming you do still most often? Or do you muck about with the sea clams and the steamers as well? Well, I don't, I don't mess around with sea clams much. I get them, and then I throw them right back. Uh, steamers is a whole other ballgame. Steamers are much more heavily regulated. Cohogs, I can go out all year. So I'm at a, a time where I'm starting to put on my insulated waders, which is what I have to do at this time of year because I really love cold water. And I, I can stay in cold water. I swim in cold water. I can have a very high tolerance for cold water. I was, I, I, I was out clamming with my father uh, a while ago, and uh, I gave him the insulated waders. And I just went out. But the problem was I don't wear shoes uh, when I clam. Some people wear sandals of some sort. I don't. Um, and my feet had gone numb. And so I didn't wasn't realizing that the crabs were pinching my feet, which is a terrible, a terrible hazard of this industry uh, is the crabs on your feet. I could just wear shoes. I don't. Uh, but at this time of year, I put on my insulated waders, and I will go right back out to my same clamming territory um, and and be as warm as I can be. Uh, the problem is your hands get a little cold, but that's not a big problem. Mm. So how does the pursuit of the steamer clam differ from the pursuit of the quahog clam? Well, a couple of things. A quahog clam, I can be out in waist-deep water going along, and find find quahogs. Uh, you could also find quahogs in no water. I mean, you don't have to be in deep water. I just, you know, th the further out you get, less people want to deal with that. And there's sure. also this worry around here lately of sharks, so uh, which are in, in, in the bay uh, where I do a lot of my clamming. So, um, you know, one doesn't want to go too far out with the threat of a great white around. Uh, I, for some reason, have this idea that the 
clam rake will protect me if the great white comes. We shouldn't be worried about shark attacks, but there's a lot of talk about that around here, and there are sharks in the bay. Mm. Uh, so it hasn't stopped me yet. But um, a steamer, you need to do when there's no wa- where there's no water. So the tide is really out. And the way you would go for a steamer clam, you could just, of course, wear your regular um, shorts. But uh, one might, in the cold weather, wear something called hip waders. And those are waders that are not insulated, but they're rubber. And they go up and they attach to your pants, to the to your belt. And with a steamer rake, you're using a rake which probably has tines about a foot long, five or six of them, more flexible, thicker, with a short handle. A handle that's about a foot long. So you have this weird kind of foot-long wooden handle and foot-long tines. And you get on your knees, or you can crouch down, and you dig a hole in the sand with the steamer rake. But the problem with the steamer clam is that the shell is so soft that if you were to just kind of go in there with force down with your rake, you're very likely ruin them all. Mm. So what you do is you get on your hands and knees and you dig a bit of a hole. And then with your fingers, and the best way to do this is with no gloves, but then you start getting little cuts on your fingers. You kind of Dig a hole, and then you go around the hole, you let the water fill in, and you start to feel for a steamer, and you go underneath it, around the side of it, so you protect it from crushing it. And they're harder to come by, they're very fragile, but they're wonderful to eat. You know, a steamer clam, you put in fried clams, but the other way you cook a steamer is you just steam it open, and you pull the sock off, is what covers that siphon. And you put it in the same broth that you've cooked it in. And then you put in a little butter. And that's it. And you eat it. And a, a, a big thing of steamers is wonderfully is wonderfully good. Um, and the price for them is wild. I was saw some, something that was charging $22. The problem is once you become a clamor, there's no way you can ever pay for a clam again. Right. It's too ridiculous. It'd be like buying a pine cone. Yeah. You know, and it makes you mad a little bit, you know. Mm. So I haven't purchased a clam in years. Um, and I don't think I'll ever buy a clam again. You're in Cape Cod presently. What's the likelihood of getting into a conversation with someone about clamming if you're out running errands or having lunch in town? Well, the thing about clamming is there's not much to say. Mm. To another clamor. I mean, how are the clams? I don't know. How are they? Did you catch many clams? Did you get many clams? Are there still clams? The thing, uh, what I've I've come to realize is it's a very solitary pursuit. You know, you wouldn't go out on a clam party. You know, I wouldn't take a group out and say, well, let's... Let's go have some fun. You know, I might take one. I'd take one person out with me. Um, So... You don't talk much about clamming. I think you would say you could, whereas you might say, well, the striped bass are here. You know, the, the fishing's been fantastic. Have you, have you gone over there? Whereas clamming, you just, you do it quietly. You mm. get your bucket. What does happen, though, in the summer is that there are a lot of people standing of sitting on the beach. And so this isn't a problem at this time of the year, but you, they're kind of watching you out there. What are they're they're just sunbathing, and they're watching you out there. And when so when you emerge from the water, you have an audience. Mm. 
staring at that bucket to see how full it is. And for someone like me who doesn't fill the bucket up anymore because I, I can't have a, I don't need a whole bucket of clams, they kind of think you've had a bad day. And, you know, I don't know how to, you know, that kind of smile. I said, well, but you tried at least, and I don't know how to say, sir, it's all I needed. What are your favorite dishes to prepare with the clams that you've gathered? Well, I've gotten to the point where my clamming is determined on the dish I'm going to make. So if I know that that night I'm going for stuffed clams, well, then I know that I'm going for quahogs. And a little neck isn't going to do me much good. What am I going to do? Just put a tiny little thumbnail of, you know, stuff in there? That would be ridiculous. So I'm going for quahogs. If I'm making clam pasta... Then I know that I'm going for larger size little necks to small size cherry stones. And if I get big ones, I throw them back. If I'm just going for, you know, little necks, so if I'm really trying to impress someone by giving them a plate of raw little necks, well, I know I'm in for a longer day. But uh, I will, you know, so it's just, it's really, so my favorite things to make are, uh, I make stuffed clams, which are wonderful to freeze. Um, What do you stuff them with? Well, you get your quahogs, and you put them in water, you steam them open, and then you take the meat of the clam out of the out of the shell, and you reboil. Though this isn't really a problem here, because these are wild clams. This isn't, nothing's been in a supermarket or such. But uh, then so you have your, your clam shells, and you take that, that clam meat, and you chop it up, and you saute onions, and you put in breadcrumbs, and you put in Parmesan cheese, and you put in bacon, and you put in a lot of fresh herbs, and an egg, and you make it into this stuffing. And then you stuff the quahog shell, and you bake it. And so you eat. The the vessel is the shell. Hmm. I also make something called the clam chowder pizza, which has been a revelation. It's fantastic. So uh, I'll make a clam chowder pizza, which is basically like a, a clam pizza. I make a clam chowder. I make linguine and clams. Though I'll tell you, if I don't ever see that dish again, I won't be sad. And uh, and then I just eat them raw. Do you ever run into a problem with clam pizza in that it sounds gross? Or am I missing something? Well, I think you're missing something. Okay. Did you develop the recipe for the clam pizza? I mean, people have been eating clam pizza. You can find a a clam pizza in St. Paul. But, you know, the addition here of the clam chowder pizza, which is not my recipe, it's a Sam Sifton recipe from the New York Times, is heavy cream Mm. and bacon. So it's as if you're taking a clam chowder and you're putting it on a pizza. And it's they just go screaming for it. They're so happy when I make a clam chowder pizza. Who's they? My family, my friends. Uh, a non-clam lover will become a clam lover, a convert, if you give him this clam pizza. All right. What do you do with the shells once you're done cooking? Can I tell you something? Yes. I have a clam shell driveway. You do? Yes. How did you go about that? Do they just get squished and it's a mosaic, or do they stay intact? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, they're in bits and pieces. So in, in the beginning, I started out, it was a sand driveway, which we started ourselves to make a clamshell. So that would be, and it, it's still to this day. So uh, whenever 
I, I we have clams. They immediately, I mean, I just will hand it to someone in the house and I'll say, can you go th- throw them on the driveway? Um, so that's how it started. Uh, a c- couple months ago, we realized that we would be uh, putting shells on the driveway for the next hundred years. Even with the amount of clams that come through this house, it was going to take a while. So we brought some clam shells in. I still add constantly. What's happened is, is I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where it's not odd to see clamshell driveways and clams. But what I've started to do uh, when I go home, when I go back to North Carolina, um, I bring clams. And mm. a wonderful thing is what I'll do is I'll clam for days, put them in a cooler. Clams will keep for a long time. They'll keep for more than a week in your refrigerator. Bring them back to North Carolina. And then I... Uh, call people and I have them come to my driveway and it's like a, I'm a seafood salesman, but I just, I give it away and they come and get clams that I've, the only price that you have to pay is that you have to bring the clam shells back to the driveway in Durham. And so I would venture to say that we may have the only clam shell driveway in Durham County. I mean, I won't say the state of North Carolina. And it's a, it's a work in progress, that Durham, because those are just coming in a, a cooler at a time. But I, uh, I, I'm doing my best. Do you ever clam in North Carolina? Well, you, you, you don't really clam in North Carolina. Uh, it's much harder to, to clam in North Carolina. I, the water is much warmer. And I don't think you, there are soft-shell clams, uh, steamer clams in North Carolina. There probably are some quahogs, but I haven't really um, – I don't live near the water in North Carolina. Mm. So it would be a long drive. Um, I always say, you know, a long walk for a short beer, you know, to just come back with – you know, three hours and just come back with a few clams, especially when I have such an abundance around me here. Did you say a long walk for a short beer or pier? Well, I say that saying maybe once a day in some realm of my life, a long walk for a short beer. Should we do that interview? Should we reach out to that guy? I don't know. It seems like a long walk for a short beer. This is in in comedy circles. If there's a long setup for a joke and the punchline isn't all that good, we say it's a long climb for a short slide. Same idea. Same idea. Have you ever used a clam gun to dig up clams? I don't know what that is. You don't know what a clam gun is? No. Is it cheating? It sounds maybe like it's cheating. Do you have a computer in front of you and can yeah. Google clam gun? Clam I think gun. you'll see that it's not like a gun so much as it's like a plunger and it looks a lot like a pogo stick. I'm looking at it right now. So this one's for razor clams. Right. I haven't even talked to you about razor clams. Right. Well, I was wondering if you if you, that's they're more of a Pacific Coast phenomena, I believe. Yes, there are razor clams here, but they're they're fast. You, right. you can't believe how fast they are, and so they'll go away from you. So these guns, you're putting down into the sand. Now, I wonder, now that looks like a lot of work with potentially a lot of just sand coming up. I think you get a lot of sand, and the hope is that you get a razor Maybe. clam that fits right in your cylinder there. 
They're so skinny, though. Can you imagine how many holes you'd have to dig to get your dinner? I think the idea is that you just bop along the sand going squish, 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 hoping that you suck up a razor clam. That is a sentence I've never said before. I am hmm. interested in it. Yeah. Uh, Would you give I mean, it a I, try? I think I might look a little ridiculous around here with one of these clam guns. I think. I think. Who's the Who's the out of towner? Right. Right. <laughs> you know. I mean. Uh, I mean. I. You know. I. I and I. Uh, it is. A, that is one clam area where my knowledge isn't as great. A razor clam. You know. I. I gotten razor clams before and on the on the west coast or the east coast no here they're right here oh okay they're razor clams here they're they're rarer but you do get them and they're either cut your fingers horribly um but sometimes when i'm going for steamers because you also need to be careful with a razor clam their shell also is 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 rather brittle um you will get a I'm down. I'm going for steamers, and really, I'll start going for steamers in in November. So I'll start going for steamers in winter. I don't really go for steamers, and I don't know how many steamers you can take in warm weather here. But my steamer life is about to begin. Mm. Are you an oyster person as well as a clam person, or can you only be one or the other? Oh, of course, you can be. An oyster person. The problem with oysters are oysters are very heavily regulated, and so there are certain types of the year. There are certain times of the year, and in this period of maybe November to April, um, one day a week where you can go and harvest oysters, because most of the oysters we eat are farmed in some way. You know, they're on. A wild oyster just kind of sitting out there. Now, I happen to be very lucky that I live close to some of the best wild oysters that I just go and pick up. Mm. I was, yesterday, I was fishing, and uh, I was having some bad luck. And uh, I thought, well, I'm not doing this anymore. And I started just walking, and there were oysters at my feet that I could have just, I picked them up. I had six beautiful oysters in my hands. I could have just put them in my pocket, but I thought, no, it's not time yet, Phoebe. And so I, I put them in, I put them back. But I love oysters. Um, I'm very particular about the types of oysters that I like. So for me, you know, I've had oysters. I've had West Coast oysters. I've had French oysters. I've had, I used to live in Gulfport, Mississippi, where there's tons of oysters. Um, I prefer a, a, an oyster from cold water. So I like a, um, a Nova Scotia oyster. I like a, a Canadian oyster, Prince Edward Island. I like a Maine oyster. Um, the further south you get, the less interested I am in the oysters as a general rule. But the oysters that I get right here, and what I do is, um, it doesn't matter what time of day I'm oystering. Um, it could be six o'clock in the morning. I open it right there and I eat it raw. Mm. You know, just just one, the just to start the down. day. Uh, Yes. I mean, and, you know, there's a different, there's an oyster knife and a clam knife and you've got to have the right, but yes. What's the difference between cold water oysters and warm water oysters? The salinity. Mm. They're bigger usually. Um, a lot of times the oysters, now, again, people will hear this and say, you don't, you know, it's my personal opinion, is that you're going to get a more complex oyster 
in the colder the colder water that it grows in. But that's the wonderful thing about oysters is that there's so few things that taste just like where they were. You know, they just filter. They filter the sea. They filter the water that they're in. And and so an oyster, uh, you know, in Duxbury, Massachusetts, and an oyster in from Prince Edward Island can taste totally different. You know, it's an oyster, but next to each other, they taste totally different because the water that they're filtering through them is just from a different place. Mm. You mentioned that it might be getting late in the season to do clamming. Is there clamming in the winter where you are? Oh, yes. I'll clam on New Year's Eve. I mean, I clam in all water. The problem that I have is I have people who love me who get a little nervous when I clam in the winter because uh, you don't want those waders to fill up with water. Hmm. And I... I promise you that when I'm clamming in February, I am the only one around, and there's no one to see me. It's not August, you know, to see me go down. And so I have to be very careful because I have to, I can't go out as as far as I maybe want because I have to make sure that the water doesn't get anywhere near my armpit, which then it could start going down into the waders. Uh, And it's not like a wetsuit where you want some of the water in there to warm up and then it's okay. No. No, it is neoprene. So, but no, it has, they have boots. You know, and and the first time I put on the waders, my first lambing in waders of of the season, I think, oh God, I don't have to worry about those crabs. And I feel such a sense of freedom because I'm not worried about them getting my feet. And so I just, I feel as I could be out here forever. Those Mm. crabs can climb right over me. I I, I don't care. When you talk about the crabs that are, that are, pinching you are are those the little sand crabs or are those bigger crabs oh they're bigger crabs oh crabs the size of your hand but you there's not much crabbing around here you know you you don't see many people going for crabs they're just living there in the in the in the seagrass in the habitat where a clam would be and so you've got to kind of you've got to be careful because you're you're disturbing them. So, so the horrible thing that happens is you'll be down there with your rake and you'll be raking and you bring the rake up and you've speared a crab right through the middle of it. Mm. That happens a lot. Yeah. What do you do then? There's a shake that I've kind of perfected. You know, I kind of get the there's a kind of a flick, and uh, the the crab. I don't think it, it it survives, but it means I don't have to actually put my hand on and push. You know, I kind of just fling it a little bit, and it and it goes off. When you're in North Carolina, what do you do with all the time when you can't clam? Is that when you make several podcasts? The thing about clamming is that you are beholden to the tides. So even if I wanted to clam all day, I couldn't. Hmm. I've got about an hour. I've got about an hour and a half around the tide. So you can work very hard and still be a clamor because you, you, you just can't be out there all day, you know. And, and uh, right now I'm in a wonderful tide time because the tides, low tide's at 6, at 7. And so this is fantastic to do uh, before work. Mm. When the t- low tide's at, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon – you know, it's it's hard for me to make up an interview and say, "Well, I've got I've got I've got an important interview to go, go go do." But so my my clamming is based around tides, which means that I can only do it some days, and I can only you know weekends are a big clamming time. But if if the tide is right, hmm. I don't know that we've done a great deal of audience research for this program in terms of what species listen to it, but. 
I guess it's possible that some clams do tune into the show. And given that you've eaten many, many clams and turned them into a chowder pizza, is there anything you would like to say to the clams by way of gratitude, by way of apology, by way of a message that you wish to send to all of clamdom? I used to live with a fisherman. And when he went out fishing, he would never have money in his pocket because he would say the fish could smell it. What I have to say to these clams is, I promise you, if I take you, you're going to go to good use. This isn't just a thrill anymore. And so I feel as though this mindset of if you take it, you eat it, you know, means I can keep doing this because I will not take a clam out of that ocean unless I know it's got a good home to go to. In your tummy. In mine or someone else's, but they'll appreciate it, and it will be well fixed. Well, Phoebe, I've enjoyed very much learning about clams and a little bit about oysters and about the different varieties of clams and how long one could spend in a day clamming. Phoebe Judge, thank you so much for being with us, and good night. Good night. Well, sleepyheads, I hope you enjoyed learning about clamming as much as I did. You know, one thing I like to do at the end of my day is make a mental catalog of things that I experienced and or learned. So if you don't mind, I'm going to make a list of takeaways from my conversation with Phoebe Judge right now while it's fresh in my mind. One. Half of the world can't comprehend waking up in the middle of the night. Two, the first rule of clamming is you need a rake. Three, there are three main types of clams in New England. Sea clam, or surf clam, steamer clam, or piss clam, and quahog. Four, Clamors are beholden to the tides. Five, you don't need a whole bucket of clams unless you're having a clam party. Six, once you become a clamor, there's no way you'll buy a clam again. Seven, a raw little neck is a wonderful thing. Uh, okay. I'm going to turn in myself. Thank you for sleeping with me and Phoebe Judge. You can follow Sleeping With Celebrities on Twitter and TikTok using the handle at sleepwithcelebs. On Instagram, the handle is at sleepwcelebs. Our email is sleepwithcelebs at maximumfun.org. Music for this program provided by the Winterbowers. This show was senior produced and edited by Laura Swisher. Swish. This is a production of Maximum Fun and Papuchik. I'm John Moe. Night Night. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.